uh, do this on, on a pretty regular basis each Christmas there. Um, <clears throat> this is just a, um, uh, a little, uh, uh, it's not really a poem, but just a little write-up by a fellow uh, called The uh, One Solitary Life. And, and it's just a good summary about the Lord Jesus. And so I really like it, so I thought I'd read it to you guys. So let's talk about the Lord Jesus. Uh, and this guy wrote this, uh, I think, in 1926 uh, uh, here. So uh, it says that, talking about Jesus, says, He was born in an obscure village, the child of a peasant woman. He grew up in another obscure village where he worked in a carpenter shop until he was 30. It says he never wrote a book. He never held an office. He never went to college. He never visited a big city. He never traveled more than 200 miles from the place where he was born. He did none of the things usually associated with greatness. He had no credentials but himself, and he was only 33. Uh, his friends ran away, and one of, them, one of them denied him. He was turned over to his enemies, and he went through the mockery of a trial. He was nailed to a cross between two thieves. While dying, his executioners gambled for his clothing, the only property he had on earth. And when he was dead, he was laid in a borrowed grave through the pity of a friend. Uh, and, of course, this was written uh, in the last century. It says, 19 centuries have come and gone. And today, Jesus is the central figure of the human race and the leader of mankind's progress. All the armies that have ever marched and all the navies that have ever sailed, all the parliaments that have ever sat, all the kings that have ever reigned put together have not affected the life of mankind on earth as powerfully as, one, as that one solitary life. And I think it's a pretty good summary of the Lord Jesus, right? Do you think about who he was, right? He, uh, he wasn't, uh, uh, he wasn't a, a, a super famous person as far as uh, like, a, like an artist or an actor or anything like that. Uh, he was a very humble person, and yet uh, he changed the course of the earth, amen, uh, 2,000 years ago. Uh, and he's still changing the course of people's lives even today. And if, if people would yield to him, uh, even today, you know, the earth would be better off. Amen. I know it seems like there's still a, a big rise uh, in uh, uh, the Islamic religion. Uh, and, uh, you know, the Christianity has a much better, uh, a much better deal for humanity than any other religion, in, including the Islamic religion, because Jesus will change you from the inside out. Amen. Uh, and so we're thankful for uh, the Lord Jesus. We're thankful for what he's done. We're thankful that... Um, he came to the earth, amen? Uh, and um, if you ever get a chance to study about uh, redemption and, and the whole plan of redemption, I'm always so thankful for uh, the thousands of years that Jesus planned and uh, worked on the plan of redemption for our benefit. And um, I do have that on my list of things to do. I, I need to write a book in relation to that. Uh, and so, uh, but um, we'll get that one of these days, amen? And so praise God. Well, uh, now the doors is here. Let's stand up and greet each other for amen. <laughs> Thank you. Father, planning, working up to the day of your entry into the earth, Father, as a child. Father, so much anguish has been in the earth up until that time. And Father, just the song said that you said you came to the earth it was for freedom that you set us free. Your desire is that all men are free. Free, Father, to, to choose to serve you. Free, Father, to follow your plan and will in the earth. Free from the ravages of sin and, and the weight of their own minds, Father. And the 
shackles of yesterdays. Father, you came to the earth to give mankind absolute freedom again. We're so thankful that you decided to do that. We're so thankful, Father, that you offered it to us. Father, we thank you for loving us, Father, and desiring these good things for us. You only desire good things for us, Father, in the earth. And so, Lord, we thank you for these things. And Father, we give you all praise and honor for them, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, praise God. Is the Lord good? He's good all the time. Amen. You know, that, that one line just kind of stood out to me that it, it was for freedom that he set us free. In Galatians 5.1, in the New American Standard Version of the uh, translation, it says that it was for freedom, it was for freedom that Christ set you free. Uh, and if you meditate on that verse, to me, that's one of the verses that, that gives me information about who the Lord is, what motivates him. So what motivated him is he, is he looked at mankind under the weight of sin, and he never designed mankind to be that way. He wanted mankind to be free. Uh, and, and why did he want us to be free? So you could be free. It was for freedom's sake that he set you free. He just, there was no strings attached, right? It wasn't free so that he could get stuff out of you. It was free because he loves us enough that he wants us to be free. And, and even, you know, for me as a, as a minister and a pastor, you know, I see people a lot of times being controlled by their past, being controlled by their minds, being controlled by even physical sickness and disease. Uh, and, and, you know, my heart goes out to folks like that because I know the Word of God has given us a, a promise that we have the right and the privilege to be free. Uh, now, it depends on how much you want it, right? If you want to be free, you can be as free as you want. Amen? You can be 100% free. Uh, you know, some people shoot for, you know, like 68% free, and they're good with that. Now, I'm not good with 68% free. You know, I'm just... That's not me, right? I want 100% free. I'm not, I don't know that I'm there, but I want to be free. If there's anything controlling my life, you know, I don't want anything controlling my life other than me. Uh, you know, of course, I want, and, I'm gonna, and I choose to yield my life then to the Lord in that. Uh, but see, I'm free to do that. I'm free to yield to the Lord 100%. Uh, many times people get stuck in, in, in sin and difficulties in their life. Uh, and even if they wanted to, they wouldn't know how to, how to yield to the Lord. Uh, they wouldn't have the ability to do that. And sometimes they need help from the outside, from other people, from the church, from the Lord Jesus himself uh, to help them get there. Well, well, we as the church are the carriers of that freedom. Yeah. We can go out and tell the world, you know, isn't that good news? That's good news. You go tell the world, hey, you can be free from all of your past, all of your present, all of your future, you know, all of your uh, in-laws, right? Uh, you know, some people are under bondage because of their in-laws. You know, you can be free from that too. Uh, and uh, that's good news, Amen. Um, and um, uh, we should desire to be free. Uh, and now, I understand, it, and I, well, I understand uh, from just from a natural standpoint, uh, there are some people who just have no desire to be free. You know, just uh, some people want somebody else to tell them what to do all the days of their life. Uh, and they're just, they're, just, they're just people that are that way, right? They're fine with, with not having any choice in their life. Uh, the Lord didn't design them to be that way. The Lord designed us uh, with a free spirit, but there's always going to be people just, you know, they're fine with being under sin, being under bondage, being under, you know, having something else control their life. Uh, I don't understand that. Uh, the Lord didn't design humanity to be that way. He gave humanity a free choice in the earth. Amen. Uh, uh, in fact, when he said, 
in the book of Genesis, let us make man in our image. Uh, the, the primary way that he made man in his image was the freedom to choose. Uh, amen? Uh, people talk about God being sovereign. Well, the word sovereign means uh, that he answers to no one. Well, God made humanity sovereign. He, he said, you, you, you answer to no one. If you want to, you can answer to me, but you have to choose to do that. So that means we have a choice. We're sovereign, right? We get that nobody tells us what to do. Uh, and so uh, that's the way God designed us from the very beginning. And that's, that's the, uh, a normal human being will yearn to be free. Uh, the whole world, even if they don't know it, desires to be free. Even if they don't know they could be free, they desire to be free because they are made, uh, when they came into the earth, their spirits were made by God. Uh, and God is a God of freedom, amen? Uh, and so, uh, so we, we have been uh, teaching on the, the subject of the judgment of the Lord, uh, just a, a super exciting, wonderful uh, message, and I think it is a good a message. Uh, but primarily, what, what I believe the Lord wanted us to get out of, of this message, you could talk, uh, teach on this subject for uh, years on end, I believe. There's so much information in the Word of God, Old Testament, New Testament, about this topic. Uh, but the, the thing that the Lord wanted me to, to emphasize uh, specifically is how does that impact us, right, as the church? Uh, and so uh, we started out in, in uh, 1 Peter chapter 4, and we'll just read that. It's kind of our foundation scripture. Uh, and so it says here, and um, I've got to get over there, right? Uh, in 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 17, it says, For the time has come that judgment must begin at the house of God. And if it, be, if it first begin at us, what shall the end of them that obey not the gospel? What shall the end of, be of them that obey not the gospel? Uh, and so uh, we talked about judgment in the Old Testament. We talked about judgment at the end of time. And, and we're kind of looking at uh, for the church because he said judgment begins at the house of God. So that's us, the church, right? Uh, so how, how does that look? What does that look like for the church? Uh, and so we talked about sin and what that means. And uh, is there forgiveness for sin? There is, right? So if a, if a Christian commits a sin, can they be forgiven? Well, sure they can be, right? Uh, all they have to do, according to 1 John 1, 9, is to confess the sin, right? And the Bible says that God is faithful and just to forgive you of sin and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. Uh, and so uh, is, uh, do Christians sin? Uh, yes. Is that new information? Is anybody surprised about that? What? Christians sin? Yes, Christians sin, right? Christians make mistakes. Christians do things wrong. Christians, you know, I mean, I know Christians who lie, cheat, steal. I mean, you know. Uh, I've seen Christians do just bad things. You know, all the people that we visit at the jail, you know, there's probably 30% of them or more are Christians, right? And they're all in jail. Uh, and I believe they really are Christians. If they died, they go to heaven. Amen. Uh, but why are they in jail? Well, they did something wrong, right? They lied, cheated, or stole something. Uh, now, all of them will tell you they're in innocent, right? Uh, and um, uh, some of them may be innocent. I don't know. I'm not their judge. Amen. So that's somebody that's for the natural world to decide on that part of it. Uh, but I believe some of them are actually sincere Christians on their way to heaven. Uh, how could that be? Well, you know, uh, you ever made any mistakes in your life? Uh, you know, sometimes the church gets, gets kind of a little self-righteous and thinking that, well, my sins aren't nearly as bad as your sins, right? Uh, because I do, you know, good quality sins. You know, you do bad, ugly sins. And, and, and we, we love to kind of separate sins into things I don't do and those are really bad and things I do, well, they're not so bad. If I'm doing them, they're not so bad, right? And so oftentimes the Christians, will, the church will pick certain sins that we're not doing and we really harp big on those, right? Oh, you better not do that when you're going to go to hell. Well, what about your pride that you just were showing five seconds ago? 
well, that's not nearly that bad. Well, you know, if you go to uh, Proverbs chapter 6, he talks about abominations of the Lord, and one of those is pride. And yet, you know, uh, a lot of sins that we say are so bad, you know, the Lord never calls those abominations, right? Uh, he does call lying, you know, uh, an abomination. He calls pride an abomination. He says hands that shed innocent blood are, are, is an abomination of the Lord, right? But what about cheating or your taxes? That's not, you know, uh, that's not an abomination anywhere that I could find. Uh, and I would encourage you to do that because eventually they're, they're going to come knocking on your door, right? Uh, and and um, I mean, what, what about this, right? Uh, uh, now, I know a lot of people, I'm not trying to, I'm not mad at nobody, right? It's just an observation, amen? Uh, but uh, let's say that you're on disability. Anything wrong with being on disability, like government disability? I mean, I don't, none of my business, right? If you're, if you're disabled and can't work, thank, the disability from the government should be seen as a mercy, right? An act of mercy, and it really is, right? And we're thankful for that. The Lord uh, has provided uh, people who are unable to work with the ability to, to obtain some means to take care of themselves. But I know a lot of Christians who are on disability. And they'll come and say, hey, can I build you a barn? Okay, yeah, build, yeah, I need a barn. Yeah, build me a barn, right? You know, well, okay, well, here, here's the money and the materials. Go build it. And they go build your barn. They're on disability, right? And then you get to pay them. It's like, well, you can't pay me because I'm on disability. If the government finds out, I won't be on disability. It's like, but if you're disabled, how are you able to build me a barn, right? And, and, and so is that a sin? Well, I think lying is a sin. Isn't lying a sin, right? Uh, was that going to send you to hell? No, but, um, you know, I know, a lot of, I know a lot of Christians who do things like that, right, uh, who will lie and kind of cheat and steal from the government, right? Of course, you know, stealing from the government, I mean, some people, yeah, do that, right? <laughs> But I think stealing from the government is still just as wrong, amen? Isn't stealing wrong? Now, the Lord doesn't call it an abomination, but it's still wrong. I mean, you're taking something that belongs to somebody else because really you're not stealing from the government. You're actually stealing from me because I'm giving the government money, right? And so you're actually stealing from me. Now I'm going to be really mad about it. Uh, but uh, So we like to, like to kind of segregate sins as being the really bad sins and the ones not so bad, right? And usually ones are not so bad than what we're doing, so... Uh, but all sin, uh, the, the definition for sin is missing the mark. Sin is sin, amen? Uh, and and um, it's all falling short of the glory of God. Uh, and so we talked about uh, what, happens, what happens when a Christian sins. Right? What ha- do they, do they, uh, are they in danger of eternal damnation? Well, the answer is no, right? They're not in, ter- in danger of eternal damnation. We went through the scriptures and looked at that uh, and showed that. Uh, you know, if you commit a sin, then uh, what happens is, uh, according to Galatians 2.21 there, it says that uh, I do not frustrate the grace of God. So God's grace is his ability working in you and, and the gifts from heaven come by his grace. Uh, and he is frustrated to give you the, the grace and the blessings that you need to continue in your life. Now, it doesn't change his will. That's the thing we've got to understand is uh, frustration means I want to, but I'm unable to. Uh, have you ever been frustrated trying to do something and you're unable to do that, right? Uh, and uh, we were working on something the other day. I, was so, I told Chris I was so frustrated because I was trying to get this thing done and I couldn't get that thing done because, you know, I got the wrong pipe, I got the wrong size, I had to go back. You know, it's, it's like, oh, you know, it's like I, I'm ever going to get this done. I was so frustrated. Uh, and and uh, the next day, everything was fine, right? So I wanted to get it done, but I couldn't get it done. You ever wanted to get some things done you couldn't get it done? Didn't change your will, but you were frustrated. So God desires to bless you, but sometimes your sin uh, frustrates him. 
He desires to bless you, but he's unable to bless you. Well, why is he unable to bless you? Because of the choices you make, right? Because uh, does anybody, has anybody been made to sin ever in the history of humanity? Nobody's ever been made to sin. Everybody's always sinned because they chose to sin, right? They may be under pressure, but at the end of the day, you know, somebody uh, chose to do it, right? And if, when you repent, you should always acknowledge that fact. And you should never say, well, Lord, they made me do it. Because the Lord's like, no, they didn't. You chose to do that, right? Now, I mean, they may have physically, you know, coerced you into some things, but in your, in your heart, in your will, you still don't want to do it, right? I mean, there's a lot of, like the martyrs of old, they're, they're, they were told to recant their, their faith. Uh, and you think any of them caved and recanted their faith uh, when they were being burned alive? Probably. But did they really want to do that? No. Uh, and so their will didn't change, but, you know, they, they may have done that. And so they, really that's not even a sin because they just said those things uh, to, to remove the pain. Uh, but just average sin, you know, nobody makes you do it. You, you choose to do it. And when you repent, you should tell the Lord, Lord, I chose to do that. Nobody made me do it. You know, I did that of my own uh, free accord. Uh, and, and see, that's true repentance. Amen. Because if you, uh, what happens if you say, Lord, you know, uh, uh, they made me do it. What you're saying is uh, it's not your fault. You're saying is you're not guilty of that which you chose to do. Well, then what's the purpose of repenting? There's no need to repent if you really, if that's really true. Right. Uh, and so. Uh, repentance should be an acknowledgement that you chose to do something. Uh, amen. Nobody made you do it. Well, they may be mad. That's not a biblically true statement, right? Nobody makes you mad. You choose to get mad. Uh, and so uh, nobody forced you to do those things. You, do, you chose to do those things. And so uh, generally speaking, that's the way we should repent. Amen. That, that uh, we chose to do that. Uh, and so, so God is frustrated uh, with blessing you. That's, that's your inheritance, right? That we talked about uh, the, the prodigal son and how... Uh, when he was out living and riotous living, that uh, he had no access to any inheritance, did he? Uh, and was the father able to bless him while he was out committing his riotous acts? No. Uh, was the father still, uh, was he still the, the son of the father? He was. Was he the son before he left? Uh, he was. Was he son while he was out committing sin? He was. Was he the son when he came back? He was. Was the Lord glad to see him come back? Was the father glad to see him come back? He was. Amen. Is the father glad to see you come, uh, repent from sin? He is. Is he mad when you come back from sin? No. He, I mean, the, the son uh, burned up all the stuff the father gave him. And when he came back, the father was still glad to see him. So the Lord's not mad at you when you come back from sin. Uh, you know, he's glad to see you, right? In fact, the, the whole three parables there in, in Luke 15 talks about when, uh, there's great joy when a sinner repents. Uh, well, why, why would the Lord be more joyful for a person outside the church to get saved than a person inside the church to repent? Why would he, why would he be more joyful for a sinner to come to him than a, for a, a child of his own to come back to his, uh, to his uh, home? Uh, I think the Lord would be just as glad to see you come back. Amen? Uh, and so, so the, the son was the son before, during, and after his sin. So when you commit a, a sin, you're, the, you're a child of God before you commit the sin. You're a child of God after you committed a sin. You're a child of God when you come back and repent. Uh, uh, and we talked about, you know, on the ed, there are, there's an edge case on the end of it there that if uh, for a small percentage of people, you could actually walk away from the Lord. But that, that's not really, you know, that's not really core to the majority of the church. The majority of the church 
When they sin, they just need to repent and get back right with God and so that his blessings can, can continue to flow to us. Uh, so uh, all the blessings to come. So uh, if, if, uh, if you have committed a sin and you haven't repented, then uh, the next thing that we, we haven't talked much about then is the curse, right? Because a lot of people, they commit a sin and they think, well, I'm under the curse of God. But the problem with that mentality is, first of all, that's not a New Testament doctrine. Uh, and so if you go through the New Testament, look, about, look up the word curse and curses. There's actually several uh, words for the word curse there. You, you won't see that when you commit a sin that you're under a curse. There's no, there's no uh, New Testament uh, doctrine for that. Uh, in fact, so we got to look at uh, but that. So we're going to go back to the book of beginnings and we need to find out, you know, where, where do curses fit? So we leave them where they're supposed to be and we understand for us uh, where we are. So if you understand, uh, we already told you that uh, when you commit a sin as a Christian, you have committed an act of unrighteousness, right? 1 John 1, 9 says that when you repent, that he's faithful and just to forgive you for sins and to cleanse you from unrighteousness. So you've committed an act of unrighteousness uh, and that needs to be removed out of your life. Uh, and so between uh, the time that you commit the sin and the time that you repent, then you're in a state where God is frustrated with you. So he's not cursed you. You're not condemned. He's frustrated with you. Is that, is that what, uh, I mean, that's what Galatians 2.21 says. That's what First uh, John 1.9 says. That's the status. of. So you're not on your way to hell. If you died right then, you'd still go to heaven because your spirit's still born again. And we, we talked about Hebrews chapter 6, Hebrews chapter 10, and, and uh, second, second Timothy uh, chapter 2, uh, several different verses that showed that, that, that showed that you're still a child of God. Amen. Uh, because you can't be born again again. Amen? And a lot of people in the church think, well, we need to commit a sin, you've got to get born again again. No, it's a one-time deal. Uh, and it was, a, it was a spectacular deal, right? It was a big deal when he got born again. In the realm of the Spirit, it was a huge deal. And the Lord paid a great price, his blood, and coming to the earth so that you could be sure in your salvation. We, you shouldn't be so uh, afraid of your salvation that if you commit the smallest sin that you're going to die and go to hell. That's not a license to sin, though. Anybody, anybody looking to sin? Anybody trying to sin? I don't think your average Christian is trying to sin. Amen? And yet they still do. Uh, and so, uh, but what happens many times is that people uh, will get in fear that if I commit a sin, I'm going to die and go to hell. And so they do nothing. They, they try nothing. They attempt nothing. They, they live their life in this t- small little world, and they, they do nothing. And that's one way to not do anything wrong, is to do nothing, but that's not much of a life. Amen? Uh, and so... So we need to look at, uh, specifically as far as curses go, where does mentality get into the church? Because sometimes people get sick, right? Uh, and could sickness be a, a result of sin? Well, there are many examples in the Gospels where sickness is the result of sin. And Jesus had to, had to first forgive them. Remember in, in Luke chapter 5 with the man that was born by his four friends, that they opened up the roof and let him down. The first thing Jesus said is that, Son, thy sins are forgiven thee. And then he said, Take up thy cotton and, and walk and go home. Um, and so... Uh, so sometimes sin can be, uh, can be uh, the cause of sickness and disease. We talked about that in First um, uh, Corinthians chapter 11, right? How they were being disrespectful when they were receiving communion and how that brought sickness to them. But it wasn't, the Lord wasn't punishing them with that. That was their actions, right? For this cause, right? That cause brought uh, that sickness to them. Uh, and so but when you go back to Luke chapter 5 and looked at the example of the man that was born by his friends, uh, he had committed some sin, 
that caused him to be paralyzed, right? Uh, and so uh, in that case, though, he received forgiveness and then he received healing. So can't the church do the same thing? If you find out that your particular sickness is caused by sin, now is every sickness caused by sin? No. If you come to healing school, right, if you've been here the last 10 years of healing school, you'd learn that all sickness is not because of sin. But some of it is, amen? So you, well, how do you know? Well, you have to ask the Lord that, right? Uh, you, that's between you and the Lord for the most part. So, so just because you're sick doesn't mean you committed a sin. Uh, and uh, uh, we're, we're trying to get to that point to, to show you that from, from the Word of God about how the enemy works and brings sickness into people's lives. And, and uh, we'll, we'll see if we can get there. Uh, and so, uh, so all sickness is not due to sin, but this man had committed a sin and then Jesus forgave him, and then he got healed. So can't we do the same thing? I mean, that's the example Jesus left us. That you, Let's say that you, that you know for a fact somehow the Lord showed you and revealed to you that your sickness is due to some infraction you committed yesterday. Okay, fine. Then repent, and then get healed. That was the example Jesus left us with the man in, in Luke chapter 5, wasn't it? Now, so then, now, because sometimes people say, well, this is my sickness, you know, this is, I brought this on myself. Well, that's really dumb then straighten up. If you brought it on yourself, then you could do something about it. Amen? I mean, could people say, they'll live in it. Well, why are you living in it? Jesus repent, uh, uh, forgave that man and he got healed. Well, can't you repent and get healed? Well, I don't want to repent. Okay, well, now, we get, now we're down to brass tacks right there, right? Some people are like, I'm not going to admit that I'm wrong. Well, then dummy, live the way you live in that sickness all your life. So you tell me that if you repent and acknowledge your wrong and your error, that you could be healed. Yeah. Well, are you going to do that? No. It, you, know, you want to like, uh, somebody needs to examine you, right? Um, they have therapy for things like that, right? Um, uh, and of course, I'm not, you know, we're in the church, right? We don't need therapy in the church. You know, we need the word of God and faith. Uh, but, you know, some people, they won't admit wrong for anything. I'm like, well, just admit that you're wrong. And you know you're wrong. Yeah, but I don't admit it. Well, and some people, they'll, they'll die, right? I mean, there's a story Brother Hagin used to tell that there was a, a fella that, uh, kind of preached against, you know, faith and healing and stuff. And, uh, and somewhere along the way, he, he kind of realized maybe he wasn't right about that. So he invited Brother Hagin, because Brother Hagin, what did he teach on? Faith and healing, right? And so it was really odd that he would invite him. And, he, and in fact, Brother Hagin didn't go. The Lord said, you got to go. He said, because the man's going to die, right? And so you need to go. So he went and held, you know, back then, Brother Hagin would have a meeting. It'd be like one week, two weeks, three weeks in a row, you know, morning and evening services uh, for, at a church. Uh, and so... He would go and have his morning service, evening service for days. And the pastor never showed up to any of the services. <laughs> it kind of odd, you know. I mean, it seemed like the pastor ought to show up, right? Uh, and so uh, finally the, the wife came to Brother Hagin and said, would you, would you talk to my husband and see, and see if he wouldn't come? I think it was the morning services because the morning he was teaching on healing. Would you, would you ask you know, my husband, the pastor, to, uh, to, to, come to, uh, to come to the services? And so why are you asking me that? She said, because I know he's going to die if he doesn't. And he said, well, how, how do you know that? She said, I don't know. I just sense in my heart that's what's going to happen. Well, the Lord already told Brother Hagin that's what's going to happen. And so now they had two witnesses that what the Lord said that that's what's going to happen. And so finally he went to the pastor. And said, he said, dude, why aren't you coming to the morning services? You know, we're teaching on healing. You're sick. You know, uh, uh, you need to be healed. Come to the morning services. And he said, Brother Hagin, you know, all, all my life I've taught against healing and faith. Uh, and he said, he said if, if I come to the morning services, he said, I would have to acknowledge that I was wrong all those years. He said, I'd rather die than to admit that I was wrong. 
like, okay, you're dying of stupidity, right? That's, that's, that's a terrible way, thing to die of, right? He didn't die of cancer. He died of being stupid. Uh, and so, sure enough, Brother Hagin left. They finished their, their meetings there. Next Sunday morning, he got up in the pulpit and just fell over dead in, in the pulpit, right? Uh, and, but the Lord tried to give him mercy, right? The Lord said, well, just repent, acknowledge that you were wrong and lied about all those years, about that, that healing's not for us today, uh, and, and you'll get healed. I'd rather die. Uh, and, and, you know, I'm sure, he, you know, he died and got to heaven, and the Lord's just like, just, you know, probably didn't say anything. You, know, you can come in, but just go. I don't even talk to you. Just go away, right? Go over there. Uh, we'll let you in. But um, so, you know, sometimes Christians are just that way. They are stubborn. They will not admit error and wrong for anything. Uh, and you know, the only ones who's ever right all the time is, is Jesus and my wife, right? Uh, besides that, you know, nobody else is ever right. Uh, and so, and just admit that you're wrong. Amen. So, so when a Christian sins, they're not under a curse. That's the whole point of what we're saying, right? Uh, and so we're going to start in Galatians chapter uh, 3 here. Uh, and then we're going to go back to the beginnings because we need to find out, you know, this whole, this whole concept here of, of curses and uh, why there's, there's a lot of, a lot of, uh, belief in the church that they're under curses, and, and yet they're not under any curses. And I got to find, uh, I got to find the book of Galatians. It's here somewhere in the New Testament, right? Uh, and so here, uh, now we we know this, uh, and you know you really ought to read uh, Galatians, uh, especially chapters three and four, talks a lot about the law and how things were set up under the law. Uh, and um, verse nineteen says, uh, "Wherefore then serveth the law? You know why was it given? It was added because of transgressions." Because you remember, you know, when, when we talk about the law, uh, he's really talking about primarily the first five books of the Old Testament. But really, the law is, is covered uh, a little bit in Exodus, but primarily in, in Leviticus and, and Numbers and Deuteronomy, uh, in those three books of, of the Old Testament. Uh, and so uh, uh, the law is really all the rules and regulations, right? Don't do this, don't eat that, don't go there, don't do this thing, that thing. Uh, that's the law. Uh, but when was the law given to humanity. Uh, it was given to humanity by Moses, right? Uh, when he started writing the, the five books of the old, the first five books of the Old Testament. So, but that was Moses, right? So, so how long was it from Moses to, uh, to uh, humanity when they received the law? Well, it was 20 generations from Adam to Abraham. So they didn't have a written law then. It was 430 years from Abraham to Moses. Uh, they didn't have a law then. So the law was only added after the 20 generations from uh, Adam to Abraham plus the 430 years uh, from Abraham to Moses. So humanity went a long time without a written law. And, and, and um, Paul said that it was added because of transgressions. Because they kept sinning so much and they were dying from everything, the Lord had to say, look, I know, I know this is like Captain Obvious things, but don't do that. And they're like, really? Yeah, don't do that. You know, because the only law before that was don't eat of the, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Uh, up to that point, that was the only law they had. Uh, and then it, it was thousands of years before they got actually written law. And, and the Lord's like, look, they keep dying off. We've got we to gotta keep them alive long enough to get the uh, new covenant into the earth, to get Jesus into the earth. So let's give them a law until they get the law written in their hearts. And then they don't need the Old Testament law. They've got the law written in their hearts and they're good. Uh, and so... Uh, they, they added, the Lord added that to keep humanity alive long enough to, to get to the Lord Jesus into the earth. Uh, and so, uh, so we come back up then to, uh, 
to, uh, let's start in verse 10. It says, for as many as the works of the law are under the curse. So now that's the old covenant, right? So he's talking about the Old Testament here. Uh, and uh, as many of the works of law are under the curse, for it is written, Cursed everyone that continueth not, and all these things which are written in the book of the law to do them. And we talked about that, right? And the, the old covenant, if you go to primarily, that, that's a reference from Deuteronomy 27, but if you go to Deuteronomy 28, it kind of gives you a good summary of everything, right? It says, here's all the blessings that you, that, that you get if you follow my word. And then he goes through a whole bunch of about three times as many curses if you don't follow the law. Uh, and so the curses were Old Testament, so we've got to find out a little bit about why were they limited to the Old Testament. Uh, and so he gives us a little bit of insight here. Uh, so that we know in the Old Testament, the, the deal was, if you committed an infraction against the Lord, curse on you, right? Uh, and he gives a list of curses, right? All kinds of itchy things, scratchy things, right? Sickness and disease, poverty, you know, death, uh, everything, right? Your, your cows are sick, your dogs are sick. Everything's bad if you commit a sin under the Old Testament uh, and their curses. Uh, but under the New Testament, things are slightly different. Uh, and, and that's the, the, really the, the key of where we're trying to get to. The, the problem with, with, this, with, with all of his teaching, and, and this is the reason why many ministers won't teach on this, is because when you understand this, people think, well, then I can sin all that I want to because there's no curse. Well, that's true. There's no curse. But uh, are there any blessings? See, there's, there's also no blessings, right? There's no curse, but there's also no blessings. So, uh, so that, that's the state of the New Testament Christian, right? When you commit a sin, there is no curse, but there's also new, no blessings. Uh, and so that, that's the state. Are you okay with that? And somebody's like, yeah, I think so. Why? That's dumb, right? Why would you say that, right? Now, don't you want the blessings of the Lord? See, blessings of the Lord is full, fullness of healing, fullness of, of prosperity, fullness of soundness of mind, fullness of joy. Uh, aren't those good things that you would want to have in your life? Uh, I mean, uh, what intelligent human being would say, mm, no, nah, I don't think I want any of that stuff. Really? You don't want the blessing of the Lord? Mm, no, nah, I'm good. And people are that way, right? What do I have to give up for that? Well, nothing besides everything, right? Uh, uh, your whole will. And so uh, he said uh, in verse 11, this is Galatians chapter 3, verse 11, but that no man is justified by the law on the sight of God. It is evident for the just shall live by faith. So we're not justified or declared free from guilt by the law, right? Look at all the good things I've done. That's not how you get declared free from guilt. Uh, we get declared free from guilt by faith. He said, and the law is not of faith. And that's a, that's, that statement right there, if the church could get this settled in their hearts, the law is not of faith. So it's not about, uh, can you measure how good you are and that gets you to heaven? See, that's the law, right? The law says, what have you done today? Uh, okay, that right there, yep, that's good, that's good, that's good. Okay, we'll, we'll let you into heaven. That's the law, right? And what have you done bad today? Okay, there, there, yep, okay, no heaven for you. Uh, and that's the law. And, and Christians love the law. Now, when I, was, when I was first got saved, I didn't know anything about anything. And I was started reading the Old Testament, right? I'm 15 years old, 16 years old. And I'm thinking, this is amazing. Don't do this, don't do that. I think, wow, this is great, right? And, and I was talking to somebody who actually knew something because I knew nothing, right? And I was talking to somebody. I said, why wouldn't the Lord do the same thing for us in the New Testament? Just give us all the things we're supposed to do and all the things we're not supposed to do and life would be easy, right? Uh, but then how big of a book would that be, right? I mean, uh, uh, you'd have to cover every scenario, right? Like how long is the light yellow before you can run it, 
right? I mean, is it 30 seconds? Is it five? I mean, uh, if, if you run it, how red does it have to be before it's a sin, right? If it's a little red, you know, is that a sin? Well, I don't know, right? If it's, a, if it's I mean, where, so you'd have to write all that down. Well, would, could the Lord, co- could any book cover all of the scenarios of everything? No, but that's what we love to, we, we like the law. We love the law. Our flesh loves the law. Can we measure it, right? Can we measure how good we are compared to the guy sitting next to us? That's because that's the whole law, right? How good are you beside, compared to the guy sitting next to you? Uh, and so, but the law is not of faith. See, faith says, well, Lord, you'll show me in my heart what I'm supposed to do right or wrong. Uh, and it's supernatural, right? The Lord will reveal to you, yes, that's right or that's wrong. Don't do the wrong things, do the right things. See, the Lord wrote the, uh, the law in our hearts and we access that by faith. We have to have, to have faith that in, in my heart, I know what's right and wrong. People say, well, they don't know what's right and wrong. Yeah, they do. Every Christian knows right from wrong. And even most of the world knows right from wrong because they have spirit beings, right? They are spirit beings. Uh, and so, but every Christian knows right from wrong. Well, you know, and you can't really say, well, I didn't know. I mean, you know, you could say, well, well, I didn't hear, right? Or I didn't yield. You know, really, yield is the best word, right? Uh, because if you're born again, the Spirit of God lives in you. And he said that's, what, that's how he wrote his law on your hearts. So everywhere you go, you always know everything to do exactly right from wrong. Uh, and so, but the law is not of faith. The law is of the natural realm that can be measured in the natural world. Uh, and, uh, and see, Jesus upended a lot of that. He said, you know, uh, it, it's written that you should not commit adultery. Well, okay, can you, can you measure that? Can you count that? Can you see and observe that? Well, sure you can. But Jesus said, if you look on a woman to the lust after, you've committed adultery, adultery in your heart. And, and, and so all the Jewish people are like, man, we are so busted, right? Because, I mean, we've been doing this all in our hearts, and nobody's been, you know, on the outside, nobody can measure it. But on the inside, we've we got all kinds of things going on that we, we don't want it on the 5 o'clock news. And Jesus said, it matters what's on the inside, right? In the Old Testament only mattered what you did, right? The law was a performant uh, measurement, right? You could measure that, you could count it, you could look at it and see it and observe it. But see, the law is not of faith. Jesus wants you to be right on the inside. Primarily, if you, if you work from the inside out, you'll always be okay. Uh, and so he said, uh, uh, the law is not of faith. Uh, in verse 12, the man that doeth them shall live in them. And so, you know, my, my ignorant statement of wouldn't it be wonderful if the New Testament church could live under the law? Because, you know, I mean, that's, 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 that's what a, 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 a humanity thinks, right? Uh, and that's what I thought, because I had no understanding of how the Lord set things up. Uh, and he says, uh, but then he gets down to the amazing verse 13. He said, Christ, Christ hath redeemed us from the curse of the law. So that right there tells you everything that you've got to know, right? But you have to have some understanding about that. He said, so how did, he, how did Jesus do that? How did he redeem you or purchase you out of uh, the, the results of the curse? He said, because he was made a curse for us. So he took the curse for us, right? The curse you would normally, under the Old Testament, if you make a mistake or committed an infraction, then, then curse was upon you. And Jesus said, well, I went through all the laws that you could commit an infraction against that would result in a curse. And I said, I took all the punishment for those curses. Now, you could still do all those things, right? But, he, but the punishment has already been paid for. So isn't that what it says, right? Because he was made a curse for us. Uh, for it is written, curses everyone that hangeth on a tree. And we're going to talk about verse 13 some more in a minute. But I really like verse 14 because verse 14 of Galatians chapter 3 is the entire end game of redemption. Most people think uh, redemption 
The purpose of redemption is to get us saved. Or some people think the purpose of redemption is to pay for our sins. Those were only things that were necessary to get the goal of full redemption. And verse 14 tells us what the goal of full redemption was. He says, uh, why did Jesus do this in verse uh, 13? It says in verse 14, that the blessing of Abraham might come on the Gentiles through Jesus Christ, uh, that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. So that is, the end of that verse there, is the, is the actual end game of redemption. He wanted the Spirit of God to be in mankind. In order to do that, he had to take care of the curse of the sin, right? He had to take care of, of the sin problem. He had to take care of you not being born again. He had to take care of, of, of paying for sin by the blood. He had to take care of, of the stripes on his back to be healed. He had to take care of all those other things to get to where you could now be qualified to receive the Spirit of God. It wasn't just about sin it wasn't just about uh, the curses. It was, I want, this, I want my spirit to be in them. In order to do that, I've got to take care of all these other things. And that's what he did. He took care of all those things so that he could get his spirit in you when you choose to accept him. Uh, and that was the end game, right? That the blessing of Abraham might come on the Gentiles, uh, uh, that we might receive the promise of the spirit through faith. Uh, and so, that, so I, I really like actually Galatians uh, verse 14 there, uh, through 14, better than the verse 13, but verse 13 is what we need to talk about today. So, so now verse 13, and I ask this question a lot because um, uh, it's really hard for the church to answer this question. Uh, and so uh, if you think about it, uh, what kinds of people, what, what did people do in the Old Testament to get a curse to come on them? Broke the law, broke the law right? Basically anything wrong. And if you, in the Old Testament, you did something wrong, you got a curse. So what about if you just happen to be a really great person and never did anything wrong? How many curses would come on you? None. I mean, we, we know, we read the, the Old Testament, Deuteronomy 28. If you do all these things that are good, then only these good things will come on you. And in a list of things, it never says, if you do, all, if you do everything I tell you to do, I'm going to throw in a curse every now and then. Does, does it say that? Yeah, I know you haven't done anything wrong, but just keep things, you know, interesting. I'm going to throw a curse on you just like every Tuesday. Does it say that anywhere? No, it basically says, if you never do anything wrong, no curse is ever on you. Is that, is that what it says, right? I mean, you can go back and read it. We read it before, Deuteronomy 28. Uh, so, so the curse was only for those who did, who did wrong, right? Who sinned. Now, I know that's like, I know we're kind of belaboring this a little bit, but we, but uh, when I get to the question, you're going you're gonna to understand why I'm, I'm belaboring this point a little bit. The curse only came on those who sinned. Now, Jesus redeemed us from the curse, right? So that means that there's no curse on us. So, so who, who is that for? So as a Christian, if you commit a sin, are you cursed? People are like, oh, yeah. Well, but, but that doesn't make any sense because if you don't do anything wrong, you're never going to be cursed anyway. But if you do something wrong as a Christian and you're cursed, then how will you redeem from the curse? That doesn't make any sense, right? Jesus came to redeem those, who are, uh, redeem those who are doing things wrong by removing the curse when they commit the sin. So the curse is only for the, the people who commit failure in their life. Is that, is that, what, it, I mean, is that what, it, what the deal was? That's the deal, right? So as a New Testament Christian, if you commit a sin, are you cursed? Oh, yeah. Well, then, well, then what was the point of him redeeming you? He didn't redeem the perfect people. They didn't need redemption. Of course, there were no perfect people, I know. But still, 
theoretically, if they were perfect people, he didn't come to redeem them. They didn't need redemption. They were perfect on the way to heaven. Uh, and so he came to redeem and remove the curse from those who, committed, who commit sin, right? Because he says, Christ have redeemed who? Us. Well, isn't he us here in the church? Because he's talking to the church, right? Is it written to the church? So if Christ redeemed us from the curse. So that when you commit a sin, are you cursed? <laughs> Is that hard for you to say no? If it's hard for you to say no, you haven't got the revelation of this verse yet, right? So you should be, oh yeah, no, no, I'm not cursed at all. It should be, it should be bold, yeah. I mean, a lot of times, are you cursed if you commit a sin? Well, I don't think so, you know. <laughs> Probably, but, you know, I think he wants me to say no. But in my heart, you know, I'm really saying yes, right? Uh, I mean, I don't know what's in your heart, but are you saying yes? If you, if you think yes, but you're saying no, well, then you've got a conflict there, right? See, because if your brain says, well, that can't be so. I didn't write this. He wrote this for us, right? The curse is only for those who make mistakes. Amen. So if he redeemed you from the curse, that means when you make a mistake, you can't be cursed because then there was no need to actually, then what does redemption mean? Then it means nothing, right? It means he actually, I redeemed you. What's that mean? Nothing. It's exactly the same as it was before. Well, then what'd you do? Nothing. But what'd you say you did? I said, I redeemed you. Oh, well, that's great. What's that mean? Nothing. What? What? See, I'm confused. I don't know if you're confused, but you know, uh, if you think like that, that's confusion. Amen. If you think, okay, I'm redeemed from the curse, but if I make a mistake, then I'm cursed. Well, then what were you redeemed from? Does that make sense? I know that I, this seems to, in my mind, this is like so easy, but, but people get really mad at me when I, when I try to have a conversation with them about this thing. Ministers. Well, brother, we can't teach that. <laughs> well, that's what it says, right? I mean, everybody's redeemed from the curse. Oh, yeah, that's great. You know, uh, uh, until you commit the next sin. Well, then you weren't actually redeemed from it, right? Because if you, if you aren't committing any sin today, that's great. But if you commit a sin tomorrow, then you're cursed, right? I said, no, that, that's not what it says, amen? amen. Uh, and so um, do, do you be, the question is, do you believe that? Do you believe when you commit a sin that you are not cursed? That's, that's what it says. But do you believe that? Are you willing to believe it, right? Now, see, are you willing to, to meditate on that? Think about that, because you just got to have to meditate on that one for a while. When I commit a sin as a child of God, as a Christian, I am not cursed. Because otherwise, there's no redemption from the curse at all. Amen? Uh, and so now, uh, are, are you also, uh, when you commit a sin, do you continue in the blessings of the Lord? No, you don't continue in the blessings of the Lord. Amen? Because he, he tells us in plenty of places, hey, your inheritance is limited uh, when you commit a sin. Uh, but you're not under curse. So, so, so how does that work, though? Because uh, are, is there sickness and disease in the church? Is there poverty and lack? Is there mental anguish? Is there, is there uh, just, just problems in the church that people need uh, uh, faith to overcome? Sure. All, basically, everything you see on the world is going on in the church, right? I mean, there's sickness out there. It's going on in the church, right? Disease out there. going on in the church, right? Mental anguish out there. going on in the church. Now, now, we have a right to not live that way, but, but much of the church is living that way. Uh, and so, so, if there's no curse, then how does a Christian ever get, uh, how does a Christian ever get sick? Well, I mean, uh, uh, there's, there's a couple of things. One, we, said, we mentioned earlier that, that you don't have access to the blessings of heaven, right? And so, those blessings are constrained. Now, are they constrained 100%? Is it like you go from, uh, you're, you're living at 100% with the Lord, you commit a sin, now you're at zero. No, uh, I, you know, there's, there's no evidence that we see that that's the case, 
but uh, what's the number? There's no number, right? I mean, you want to find out how far you can go with the Lord in, in sin before you, you die of sickness and disease? I, I don't think that's your goal, right? Uh, so uh, in the normal world, you know, if you just walk outside the door, are there germs in the world? Is there viruses in the world? Well, sure. Are those things going to try to get on you? Well, sure. Are they going to try to get on good Christians? Sure they are. Are they going to try to get on Christians who've committed sin? Sure they are. Uh, for every Christian, Jesus had paid for that sickness and disease, right? By my stripes you were healed, right? Uh, uh, Isaiah 53, Matthew 8, 17, 1 Peter 2, 24. If you follow that path, he's, he's uh, paid for your healing. So why are Christians sick? Well, it's going to try to get on you. What are you going to do about it? Uh, you have a right to, to walk in faith and, and declare that by his stripes I was healed. Uh, and so you have a right to do that. You know, the, the devil, uh, we're in Galatians chapter 3, uh, just right over in, in um, uh, chapter 4, uh, well, not, not in um, uh, Galatians chapter 4, it's in, first, it's in 1 Corinthians chapter 4. Let's turn over to 1 Corinthians chapter 4. I don't know if we're going to get done today. I, I was thinking, oh, we'll, get, we'll get done today. We'll start something new next week, uh, but we'll see. Um, and actually, uh, did I say 1 Corinthians 4? Let's go to 2 Corinthians 4. We'll just keep going. We'll go to all the chapter 4s in the New Testament. You want to? Uh, and so in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, uh, it says in verse 4, it says, In whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine on them. So who is the God of this world? Who's he talking about there? He's talking, about, uh, uh, he's talking about the devil, right? He's calling the, the devil the God of this world. Uh, and so, but the thing that you've got to understand about, about the devil as being the God of this world, right, is, is that's not a legal position that he holds. That's a criminal position that he holds, right? So if you go to certain areas, like in our country, right, you go to downtown Chicago somewhere where the mob is running uh, rampant, uh, are they the God of that, of that city block? Uh, uh, not legally, but do they run the city block? Uh, I mean, you go to New York Harbor, right? Do they run uh, a, lot of the, a lot of the ports there in New York, right? Uh, do they do that legally? Do they have a legal contract from the government to do that? No, they're doing it as a criminal element, but could you call them the god of that, of that area? Well, you could, right? So, so just because they're the god of that area doesn't mean they have a legal right to do it. They just are bullied their way into it. And the devil's the same way as far as the church is concerned, the devil has no authority over the church. But will he still bully the church, see if he can get away with it? Yeah, and what's the only thing, what's the only ramification that the, the world has against the mob? Is authority, right? If, the, if they send the authorities in there, uh, and there's lots of stories in history about uh, the authorities going in and, and uh, taking, taking down the mob, you know. But they still, uh, as soon as they get rid of them one time, they're going to open up shop somewhere else, Amen. So they're, they're going to try to get away with whatever they can. And the devil's the same thing. He'll try to get away with sickness and disease in the church as much as he can. And much of the church, they, they get sick and they go, well, it's, I brought this on myself. I guess I've got to live with it. And yet that's not, what, that's not what the Lord did with the prodigal son. As soon as he came back and repented, as soon as he came to himself, the Lord said, hey, let's bless him. Uh, and, and so uh, really uh, the devil has no authority uh, in the earth. And so let's, uh, we're backing our way, way up. Let's go back to Matthew uh, chapter 28. And so in Matthew chapter 28, this is right after the resurrection. Jesus is about to go up into heaven. Of course, he, he visits them with a little bit in the first chapter of, of Acts here. 
but this is after the resurrection, right? And it says in verse uh, 18, Matthew 28, 18, it says, And Jesus came and spake unto them and said, All power is given to me in heaven and in earth. And that word power there is authority. So, you know, I was thinking about this one time about, uh, about this very verse. Uh, and we'll see. I mean, I don't know how much time we got today, but um, you, anybody working tomorrow? Nobody works on Christmas, right? So we'll just go all day. You want to go all day? Well, we'll just go all day, right? Uh, and so <clears throat> you don't have anywhere to be. Uh, but that word power there is what? What's the word power there mean? Uh, uh, well, actually, this, there are two Greek words primarily for power. One is dunamis, right? Which is supernatural miracle work of power. The other one is exousia, which is authority. This word is authority. Uh, and that, that means something, right? Jesus said, all authority is given uh, unto me in heaven and earth. And I was reading this one, one time, and I was thinking, okay, so I asked a question. Well, if all authority is given to him now, then how much authority did he have five seconds ago before the cross? How much did, it implies that he had less authority before the cross, right? I mean, that's what it says. All authority is given to me now, right? Uh, but, but what happened before the cross? So, um, so we're, we're making our way backwards through, through the word of God here, right? Uh, and just real quick, well, we'll, we'll, we'll go ahead and go, uh, we'll go backwards here then. Let's go to Luke chapter 4 then. So Luke chapter 4, in Luke chapter 4, this is before the cross, right? In fact, this is, this is um, um, Matthew, Mark, Luke, right? Uh, third book of the New Testament. Uh, so Luke chapter 4. Get over there, right? So Luke chapter 4 is after uh, Jesus is 30 years old. He's been baptized in the River Jordan by John the Baptist. And um, uh, so now he's out in the wilderness. He's being tempted of the devil 40 days. Uh, and, and so the devil starts tempting him. Uh, and, and he says, uh, we're not going to go through all the temptations. Uh, let's go into uh, verse 6 here. So this is, uh, let's, well, let's go in verse 5. And verse 5 says, and the, de- and the devil taking him up into a high mountain showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. And the devil said unto him, and said unto Jesus, all this power will I give thee and the glory of them, for that is delivered unto me. And to whomsoever I will, I give it. So again, that English word power there, what, what word does this mean? What, what, what is a better word for this word power here than the word power? Authority. It's authority here, right? So that's the Greek word uh, exousia, uh, which is the Greek word for power, for authority, right? In other words, the one in charge. Uh, and, and so the devil showed him all the kingdoms of the world, right? That's what it says, right? All the kingdoms of the world. And he said, all this authority, he said, I'll, I'll give to you. He said, because it's been delivered to me. So, so who had authority in the whole world at this moment in time? Before the cross, who had authority in the whole world? devil, right? Isn't that what it says? All this authority, he said, it's been given to me. He said, I'll give it to you. So that means Jesus didn't have it, because if Jesus had it, there's no need to give it to him, right? So, so the devil's got authority over the whole earth before the cross. After the cross, Jesus said, all authority is now mine. So Jesus got the authority back by going to the cross, right? And that's a whole long discussion there. We don't have time for all that. But that's a whole, whole great discussion about that part of uh, redemption is when Jesus got the authority back. So, so, so the devil had authority over the whole earth uh, up until the cross. And so that explains a little bit then about the curse of the law, because 
uh, the curse of law, if you made an infraction and got out on the devil's territory, he had a legal right to curse you. But now, if, if we commit a sin and, and we leave the blessings of the Lord, uh, we still step out into an area where the Lord has authority. Everywhere on the earth, the Lord has authority now. But before the cross, Jesus was limited only to the household of Israel. Uh, and so, so uh, now we're not, we're, not, we're not preaching heresy here. Isn't that what the Word of God says? Is this true? Well, that wasn't true. Well, if it wasn't true, then it wouldn't have been a temptation. Right? It, would Jesus have known if this was a true statement or not? If, if, if someone said, hey, I'll give you a billion dollars if you lie. Well, you ain't got a billion dollars. I'm not going to do that for you. Now, it's like, now, if you had a billion dollars, I'd think about it. But you know, I know you don't have a billion dollars, so it's not even a temptation, right? Uh, and so would Jesus have known if this was a true statement or not? Well, okay, well, then, then why was it a temptation? Because, uh, I mean, that seems like a pretty good deal. He could have got all the authority back by not even going to the cross. Well, I mean, that's, that's you know, for Jesus, you know, think about Jesus going to the cross. What, what, was the, what was the biggest problem, him going to the cross? Was it the pain and agony that he's going to have to suffer? Was it the shame of being naked in front of humanity? Was, was that the problem of the cross? No, I mean, of course, we've talked about this many times here before. What, what, was the, what, was the, what was the biggest problem for Jesus going to the cross? To be separated from God, right? Because he said, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Because he was, in that moment of time, he was separated from God. Had he ever been separated from God ever before then? Ever? Like forever, ever? No, never. And so in the moment of, that one moment on the cross, he was separated from God the Father, and, and that's why this was such a big temptation. So you're saying, if, if I don't go to the cross, if I, just, if I just bow down and worship you, you'll give me that authority without me having to go to the cross. And I was like, yeah, I'll do that. I'll do that all day long. And Jesus was like, man, that, that's, that's, a good, that's a good deal right there, right? Because then I don't, have to, I don't have to know what it's like to not be separated from God. And now, of course, he would have been separated from God by doing this, right? And of course, he knew that. But still, that's, that's, that's a big temptation, right? Him not having to go to the cross. So the devil was, was running, was legally running the whole earth up until the cross. And so he had a legal right. If he got on his territory, he could do whatever he wanted to on that. Now he has no authority. He has no territory. There is no territory of the devil, right? There are places you ought not go maybe, but, but uh, uh, unless the Lord tells you to go there. But the church, there's nowhere in the church where the church can go and there's not authority. Nowhere. If the Lord tells you to go, you have authority. Uh, and, and so... Uh, so, and and that's, that, that's why the church, when we commit a sin today, we're not on the devil's territory. Now, we can yield to the devil in those things, and he, has a, he can try to do some things in our life, but uh, it's completely different as far as the level of authority that he has to, to execute judgment upon you, as far as the devil is concerned. It's completely different in New Testament and Old Testament. Uh, so now, uh, Jesus has authority in the whole earth. There's no, there's no place where the devil has a legal authority. Now, he has bullied authority where he goes and just, you know, gets men to yield to him, and he runs entire countries sometimes. But he doesn't have a legal authority to do that. So the church could go in and still take authority in that situation. No, there's, no, there's no country on the earth, as, as bad as they are, some of them, if the church would arise, there's no country that could withstand the prayers of the saints. None. There's not, because we have authority everywhere. And if the, if the saints would know that, there's no country that could, could, could uh, stay in the terrible situation it is. That includes America, right? As bad as we are right now and all the insanity that's going on right now, the problem is the church isn't doing its job. The church isn't taking the authority that belongs to them and demanding from a spiritual standpoint that the, that the nation runs correctly. We're not doing that job. 
If we would do that job, see, we have a legal right to do that job because we have a legal authority everywhere on the earth, including this country, uh, to do that. Uh, and so we're out of time. We could go back to where, where, when, when the devil said, that has been delivered unto me. Well, if the devil has authority over the whole earth and that authority was delivered to him, who delivered that authority to him? Who had dominion over the whole earth at the beginning? Adam, remember the book of Genesis, right? The, the Lord said, have dominion over the whole earth, right? Not just uh, downtown Dayton, over the whole earth. He gave Adam authority over the whole earth, dominion over the whole earth, to rule the whole earth. When Adam sinned and yielded to the devil, he gave that up to the devil. So Adam delivered that authority to the devil. Uh, and, and mankind lived under, uh, under the strict authority of the enemy uh, until Jesus came. And there was this little pocket of freedom called the Jewish nation, called Israel, where they chose to have a, have a covenant relationship with God. And the Lord said, that's great, but you've got to stay inside my covenant. Because out there, it's bad and scary. But inside my covenant, it's safe and protected. So, don't, so the, the whole book of Deuteronomy, especially the, uh, in chapter 28, it's not a threat, it's a warning. God was telling them, look, I, I've, I've created a covenant with you, with Abraham, and I've established this, this free zone of covenant with you, and because you chose to accept my covenant, I didn't make you do it, but you chose to accept my covenant, I, I, I get to protect you because you chose to do it. Uh, and, but you, if you get outside my covenant, the devil has legal authority everywhere you go. So don't go out there because he'll get you. Now that was a warning. It wasn't a threat. It was a warning of the Old Testament. But now in the New Testament, the Lord's like, yeah, you made a mistake. That's, that's bad. Uh, and, and if you yield to the devil, you know, he'll try to do something on you as a criminal element, but he has no legal right to do it, even, a, even if you commit a sin. Uh, now, if the Lord withholds his blessings from you, then if a germ or virus gets on you that your body's not able to do it, the Lord may not be able to heal you supernaturally because you chose to sin. But if you repent, then the Lord's like, okay, I'll do it now. Uh, now, that's the deal of the New Testament, right? That's the deal of the church. Uh, and so, uh, we, we didn't get, I, I wanted to get, uh, and we're going to have to pick this up next week, I wanted to get over to uh, Malachi because that's a, that's a good summary of uh, uh, some verses there talking about the curse. Uh, and, and how we got to get our mentality changed that when I commit a sin, I am not cursed. I've still committed an act of unrighteousness. I still need to repent. I still need to receive forgiveness to get all that unrighteousness cleansed from my life, but I am not under a curse. Galatians 3.13 says that. Uh, we see that in, in Matthew 28.18. We see that from Luke chapter 4. Uh, that's the state of the, the church in the New Testament. Amen. Uh, and so uh, what, what, what my, my whole goal in all of this is to encourage you is to repent as quickly as you can. To remain in the blessings of the Lord all the days of your life. See, that's what you should desire. Amen? Uh, and, and look, uh, if, there's, if there's things... Uh, the devil will still try to do things because he's a criminal, right? Do criminals ever go, oh, well, we were going to do that, but there's a law against that. Do criminals ever do that? No, they're like, I know what the law says. I'm doing it anyway. Well, that's what, if I can get away with it, that's what I'm going to do. That's exactly how the devil operates today in the earth is if he can get away with it, if, there, if nobody will rise up with their authority and says, no, not in my house, he will try to get away with it. And that's why much of the church is sick and diseases because uh, uh, let, let's see if I can do it. Oh, wow, they let me do it. This is sweet. I get, I'm sick and they've got cancer and they've got blood disease. And, then, and, and they're all saying, oh, I guess it's my lot in life to bear. Thank you. I appreciate it. I'll keep on doing it. Until someone says, no, 
And until you say no, he's going to keep on doing it. Well, why? Because he's a terrible person. He's the devil, right? He's literally the devil, right? And he's a criminal operating as a criminal element in the earth without any authority to do what he does. Uh, and and, and, and I'll give this little analogy. Maybe this will help us. I was thinking about, Lord, what's a, what's a good analogy to, to explain how this operates? Uh, so you know, if you think about how it operated in the Old Covenant, if you do something wrong, the devil had a free, free reign to curse you. So like if you go over to like Russia, right? Now it's a whole different country. If you go to Russia and you do something wrong, well, they have a legal right to just do whatever they want to, right, in your life. I mean, things that aren't even illegal here, if you do over there, they can throw you in prison legally till forever if they want to. <clears throat> do they have a legal right to do that? Would they be within their rights as, as a sovereign nation to do those things? Well, sure they would. And the devil had a legal right to harm humanity when they got on his territory in the Old Testament. Uh, but then if you go, we talked about, if you go uh, to like some places in like Chicago where the mob is at, will they still try to harm you there? Well, they will, but they don't have a legal right to do it. And that's where we are in the church, where, where the devil, he'll try to do something in your life, but he doesn't have a legal right. He's just seeing if you'll let him get away with it. And if you'll read the Word of God, study the Word of God, live in the faith of the Word of God, you'll realize, no, I don't have to deal with that. I don't have to deal with sickness or disease, pain, anguish, you know, uh, mental anguish, poverty, lack, you know, the, the, uh, any, any blessing that we have access to in the whole scriptures, we have a legal right to that blessing. And, and the devil has no right to take it away from us unless we just like, well, I, I, guess, I guess it's okay, you know, that uh, I'm sick all the time, you know, I guess just... You know, I guess just, uh, I got to bear this burden. It's my burden to bear. And the Lord's like, I, I, I paid a great price for you to be free. An infinite price for you to be free in every area of your life. The spirit, soul, and body. It wasn't just spirit. He created spirit, soul, and body, didn't he? So you, surely he'd want you to be free, spirit, soul, and body. Uh, and so, uh, and the Lord, the Lord, you know, he's got to be just in heaven, just going like this all the time. Just, I, what? I gave you my spirit. I, I, I shed blood for you. I paid a great price for your redemption. I, I sent the word of God to you. What would you like me to do more? And if the Christian would say, I'm drawing a line in the sand right here. You, you don't come across this line of sand. We, the, the, the authority has been given to us, right? He said, in my name. Uh, and so uh, we'll pick this up uh, uh, next week. and We'll finish up the end of the year. Uh, with some glory, amen? Get out of all this mess. Because if you'll understand, I know some of these concepts may be like, well, that's, that's a lot. I mean, we covered a lot of territory today, right? Jerry's going to fuss at me because you covered too much territory in one message there. Uh, but uh, uh, but if you go to the Word of God, you know, you, it's the only conclusion you can come to that the problems in the church today are either self-inflicted or uh, we've, not, we've not stood against them to say no. The good news is well, then you can, you can do something about it today, right? You don't have to wait till tomorrow. And see, the enemy is going to come and try to do something to you, even if you're not committed to sin, because he's a criminal, right? He's still going to come and try to harm you. Uh, and, and so uh, in your authority, you just say, no, I'm not having that. Or sometimes you've committed a sin, and he's going to try to sneak in because of that sin. And if you just like, well, Lord, did I sin? Yeah, well, then I repent. And now you still get to throw, get to throw him out, out of the door. So either way, it doesn't matter whether you sinned or didn't sin, you have full authority over the devil in every area of your life. Uh, and, and if we would do that, we would be so much happier in the church, full of joy in the church. Amen? Sad Christians are hard. It's, it's like, you know, 
it's like, it's like bologna and peanut butter. I mean, it's like, that's what, I mean, I like bologna and I like peanut butter, but those two things don't go together, right? It's like sadness and, and Christians. Uh, and, uh, anybody like peanut butter? I mean, oh, I love it, you know. Well, we got, we got to talk if you love bologna and peanut butter, right? Those two things shouldn't go together. Amen? Uh, and, and sadness and Christianity should not go together. Amen? Uh, sickness and Christianity should not go together. Poverty and Christianity should not go together. Mental anguish and Christianity should never go together. Amen? Amen? Uh, Jesus paid a great price for us to live free. For freedom, uh, it was for freedom's sake that I set you free uh, in every, every life. And so let's pray and thank the Lord for his word. So Father, we do thank you for your word. And Father, we thank you that we've been redeemed from the curse. And Father, that, that, that's primarily and specifically talking about those who commit a sin. And so Lord, we thank you that, that we have no desire to commit a sin. And yet, Father, on occasion, we may commit a sin. We may commit an infraction against the plan and will of God. If we do, Father, your spirit will remind us uh, to repent. Your spirit will instruct us to repent, to come back to the Lord uh, and to confess that sin. And Lord, you said that you are faithful, that you'll do it every single time. Uh, and just, Father, that means you have the, the, the ability to do it, the right to do it, to cleanse us, Father, and to forgive us from all unrighteousness. So, Father, we thank you for that. And Lord, we thank you that uh, as your church, we can live in the complete and total freedom of the Lord and the victory of heaven, Father, that you bought and paid for us. We thank you for that, Father. We give you the praise and the honor for it, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, praise God. Um, I'd encourage you to, to uh, meditate on some of the things that we've talked about here because you've got to get your... Uh, one of the great blessings of the Word of God is to get our mind renewed, to think like the Word thinks. Amen. Uh, and so, Jared, come ahead and receive uh, this tithes and, the morning's tithes and offerings. Uh, and one of the best things you can do as a Christian is to think like the word thinks. If the Bible says you've been redeemed from the curse, then you should think like that. Uh, and you should never think, well, I committed a sin, I guess the curse is coming on me. That is not thinking like the word thinks. Amen? You renew your mind. God loves you. God desires a blessing for you. God paid a great price for you to be blessed. Amen? Uh, and so come ahead, Jared, receive the offering. Uh, and, and so if the church would think this way, that the devil has no right to operate in my life. Amen? No, no legal right as the, as the authority in the earth to come in and do anything in my life. Uh, and if he does, even if, even if I didn't do anything to initiate it, like, uh, like opening the door because of sin, because sometimes he'll just do it, see if he can get away with it. Aren't, isn't that what criminals do? Criminals, just, you know, they'll go down and check every doorknob, right? Uh, and the first one that's unlocked, they're going to go in. Well, you know, they don't go in the ones that are locked. Keep your door locked, right? Keep your spiritual door locked. And the devil comes up and goes, no, not in my house. Uh, and so uh, the Lord is good. Amen. You all have a wonderful Christmas tomorrow. Uh, spend time with family. Eat lots of cakes and cookies, all that stuff. Enjoy that. Uh, and uh, we'll have a weight loss program starting next week, right? Uh, so <laughs> but enjoy your time off. Uh, we won't have a healing school today. We'll pick up service on Wednesday night. Y'all be blessed, and we'll see you later.